Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Brendan Escott here with you today. Bob and the Oilers en route now to St. Louis. Kicking off a three-game road trip. St. Louis, then Chicago. You get a back-to-back uh, tomorrow and Thursday here on 6.30, Chad. And then Saturday night, your second of three battles of Alberta. That breaks my heart that we're only one month into the season, or not even, counting the days, and we, we've had the two of the three. I still want to have a chat with the schedule maker, but... Um, I know I'm not the only one here in this fine province that feels that way. Oilers now brought to you by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer. The ideal place to start your daily vacation. You want to uh, keep in touch? We're taking your texts at 780-496-0063 on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Get the new floors you've always wanted with Ashley Fine Floors. 143rd Street, 111th Avenue, open Monday to Saturday. Had to pivot a little bit today, and I'm very grateful to be joined for the first time by our next guest. He works for The Athletic, a senior editor, in fact. It is Israel Fair out of Vancouver. Israel, you're on with Brendan today. How's it going, man? I'm good, Brendan. Thanks for having me on. Hey, it's a pleasure. And again, thank you for jumping on at the 11th hour. Appreciate it. And I was just setting the table a little bit there with Frank Saravalli uh, before the news break. Just uh, the season that's, well, I don't think anybody anywhere across the hockey world, Israel, expected the Canucks to be at 0-5-2. But from your perspective, <laughs> being in the market, maybe just tell me your perspective on on just things and where they're at and where they should have been at this point. Yeah, it's certainly been a worst-case scenario through the, the first seven games. I think expectations in Vancouver were relatively high that they could be a playoff team. I don't think there were many people who thought it was a slam dunk, and then they wanted to see uh, what this team would look like. They, they looked at the strengths, uh, certainly goaltending and uh, the top nine forwards, a uh, bunch of questions on defense, but uh, basically everything that, that, that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. Um, the, the offense has, has not been consistent they're a team that needs to rely on their power play it hasn't been good enough and when when you have holes like that they've got the worst penalty kill in the league to date and they're not going to win very many games playing like that and to top it off Quinn Hughes didn't play in the home opener on Saturday he didn't play last night against Carolina he is by far their best and most important defenseman without him in the lineup they are paper thin on the blue line and it's going to be really hard for them to to get those forwards going that they've got the talent up front, but they need to get the puck on their sticks. And without uh, much depth on the blue line, that's been really difficult for this team. And it's it's been really tough. We saw it uh, on Saturday against the Sabres, a team that was rolling in hot after coming through Alberta and playing against the Oilers and the Flames. And they took it to Vancouver. And the fans uh, threw some there were multiple jerseys on the ice. Uh, there was uh, a lot of booing in the third period. It's been a pretty ugly start for the Canucks. Yeah, and we we. Know- know that you know just like Leafs fans and Oilers fans Canucks fans expect a lot out of the team and and so hey it's a team that I think understands the market pressure as well but what's what do you see is going on is there maybe a lack of direction for this franchise right now that you can see whether it's who the leader is in terms of in the room, who's leading mm-hmm. things in terms of Jim Rutherford or otherwise, et cetera, et cetera. What can you say about that? 
There's been a lot of chatter about that going back to the previous front office regime with with Jim Benning, and, and of course this then links to the conversation of ownership and what what's ownership asking for from the decision makers. What is ownership's priority when it comes to the team? And there were a lot of ups and downs. The Canadian division season, in particular, was one where the team struggled. There was a lot of finger pointing at every level of the organization the players were not uh were not outside of that mix and it seemed like this off season uh by going out and, and sign, signing Ilya Mikheyev uh signing Andre Kuzmenko that the thought was okay you know we're we're still investing in this group and these are two players that uh fit holes on this roster and if things can click early we, you know the talented players up front, Pedersen, Miller, Horvat, Besser, we're going to continue to try to build around you and give you more options and give ourselves more options. And the truth is, to, to start, uh, Kuzmenko's been a fun but somewhat flawed player. Mikheyev got hurt in preseason, and he's kind of slowly made his way back in terms of playing. And uh, I think that just adds to the, the, the concern in that room about what the direction is, what the way that they want to play, and all of the good will that came for the team once Bruce Boudreaux took over last season. That was a really exciting time. It was it was such a fresh perspective for the fans who had grown so tired of watching the team play a certain way. Uh, that's almost all gone. I don't think people are necessarily blaming Boudreaux or blaming the coaching staff, but it, it felt almost impossible that we would be talking about uh, fans turning against Bruce Boudreaux given the goodwill that he built up during that run. And he's part of this discussion now too. It's uh, yeah, it's just a lot of different parties, a lot of different factors trying to, and, and trying to figure out what's next makes this difficult with, with Jim Rutherford on, on hockey night, having some comments about, Hey, this might be a rebuild. And, and when we're certainly not happy about this start only leads to more questions about, well, okay, well, what decisions are you going to make? Is there going to be a big trade? Are you going to really look to tear this down and, and move forward? Because Pedersen has been very good for them this season. And it's like, okay, you know, yes, I think both teams would want to build around the player like Elias Pettersson. But as we've seen across the NHL, it takes a lot more than one or two players to have a consistently good team. Chatting with uh, Israel Fair right now, senior editor for the Athletic NHL based out of Vancouver. It's interesting to me because when you look at the roster, I mean, I see some of these names were just like Bruce Boudreaux. They were brought in not that long ago to be difference makers to change the tone and tenor, if you will, of the franchise. I look at OEL. I look mm-hmm. at Connor Garland, who got paid, not by this regime, but now at, I believe, $5 million a year, and he was healthy scratched earlier this week. Is that correct? Yep. So, you know, that kind of, I guess, unrest or, or a lack of direction is maybe what I'm seeing from the exterior. And Niels Hoglander would be another one who, in and out of the lineup, um, is, is it true that there might be some play there in an Ethan Bear trade if Hoglander has fallen out of favor in Vancouver? Are you hearing anything about that? There's certainly been rumblings of that. I'm not sure how much stock to put into it. Uh, I think that what we're looking at with him in particular is a management versus coaching staff uh, back and forth. Uh, obviously, uh, Oilers fans are very familiar with Ethan Bear and, and his game and being a, a right shot defenseman and the value that that has in the league. The Canucks are are weak in that area. They're they're weak across the blue line, so it's not a huge surprise that the player like Hoaglander 
given the veterans ahead of him on the depth chart, maybe the lack of opportunity that he's been given by the coaching staff would be dangled out there for a potential return of a defenseman who still has potential. I know it's been a little bit more up and down since he left Edmonton. And even at times with the Oilers, I think his play was a little bit up and down. It's, it's a bit, it's a bit of a risk, I think. And uh, there's, yeah, there's just a lot of looking at the forward lines, trying to figure out which players should be playing with one another. What, What are the best fits? And there hasn't been, a lot of clicking for this group for a couple of years now. When you go back to the season of the 2019-20, where they had JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser playing together on a line, they were, I would say, comfortably inside the top 10 lines in the league. You could argue that they were maybe even among the top five, but that line has not played much over the last couple of years together. And beyond that, they, they haven't really found a unit that can be their legitimate first line that they can bank on. And that's supposed to be the strength of their team beyond Thatcher Demko. So they're at home for four in a row after this uh, Seattle game. They go to Seattle, right, and then come back for uh, Pittsburgh. And then New Jersey and Anaheim would be a couple of winnable games in there, you'd like to think. So perhaps some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I, I just I wonder how much more roster jigging or, or that sort of stuff can be done. How many more attempts can be made to try and right this ship do you see uh, Israel somewhere in the near future where there's almost a drop dead date for how far this thing could slip before any kind of decision is made, whether it's a coaching change, a trade, etc.? I do believe, like you laid out, that the schedule here, there's an opening for them to, to look better than they have. And even against Carolina, they lose the game, they play better. Uh, the big change in roster and change in the lineup was to move JT Miller from center to wing. I thought he played by far his best game. He scored a couple of goals, but it was, it was more than that. It was just his overall impact on, on play. He, he was significantly better. I've always been a proponent that he should play on the wing rather than center. And that goes back to that question about who's making the decisions. What's the plan? Is it the management that would like JT Miller to play center? They just signed him to a big extension. Is it the coaching staff? And if they can't turn things around in the next couple of weeks, I think that that latter question of the drop dead date is, is there a point of no return? Uh, people in Vancouver are already talking about Connor Bedard. He's a local kid. <laughs> he grew up rooting for the Canucks. He's, he still calls himself a huge Canucks fan. In fact, I saw a video. Uh, he was asked for his, the Stanley Cup prediction for this season and he picked the Canucks so he still has some homerism in him and I think that would be a dream I don't know how realistic that is because of all the money invested in some of these big players for them to not turn it around to some degree but if they keep losing those questions aren't going to go away and and they're certainly going to have to make some pretty big decisions sometime soon chatting with Israel Fair senior editor at The Athletic and just any other storyline that's that's catching your mind these days Israel I know the Buffalo's been great out of the gates and and maybe exceeding expectations in that sense but uh, it's been a fun first couple of weeks in the NHL what's pricking up your ears yeah, it sure has. I was at the game, the Canucks game on Saturday and saw the Sabres up close. And it's, uh, it's pretty interesting to see just, well, just how young they are and how they're playing. And they've got, you know, three or four veteran players. But other than that, they are such a young team that's really playing, uh, the way that 
that modern NHL teams have to. And then I think uh, another storyline to me that has remained interesting, although last year was maybe out of morbid curiosity, is, is the Golden Knights, uh, just how they were going to rebound. We see the high-end talent. We know that they've got certain strategies that have really worked for them, uh, although not necessarily in the playoffs, but they've been up until last year, a really tough regular season team. And if, if Jack Eichel is going to be a big difference maker, that really changes. I think the way that, that we look at the Pacific where a lot of people were plugging in Edmonton and Calgary and justifiably so, but if, if Vegas is going to be somewhere similar, they've got, a lot of things going for them, just like the Oilers do, just like the Flames do. And if, if they can put themselves back into being a team that people love to hate and like to root against, because we certainly saw that over the course of their tenure in the NHL, where they, they went from very quickly the underdog team to a, uh, to a villain. And if they're going to be in that mix with Edmonton and with Calgary and pushing them and, and playing some good games, uh, I think that that's got, the, that's got the potential to be another huge storyline in the NHL. NHL this season. Listen, I love Vegas's uh, reverse retro jerseys this year. I don't know if you're a jersey guy. I think Vancouver's oh, yeah. are probably top two or three for this year's edition. What did you think of the Johnny Canuck look? I love it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. Uh, Vancouver obviously has a long and somewhat sordid history of, of uniforms, and I think this is one that they they nailed. I think that Johnny Canuck looks great. Uh, we've gotten to see it a little bit because of the Abbotsford Canucks going with that as their as their main main logo on on the chest, and so. What the Canucks did to kind of tweak that and, and make it a, a Vancouver Canucks jersey going back to, to the 60s version of the franchise, I think, was, was spot on. Yeah, it's, it's very high for me on the list of the reverse retros that we saw last week. And uh, final question for you as we wrap up with Israel Fair from The Athletic, and that is the Sedins entering the Hall of Fame this year. I, I grew up in BC. I'm from Kamloops, so I, um, I you know, a lot of respect for them and, and everything. Not you, you could just, even you not being in Vancouver, you could see the impact that they had on uh, Canuck Place and just as ambassadors of the league mm-hmm. and the community and such grace. So obviously a pretty special time, maybe not on the ice for Vancouver, but in the next few weeks as we see the Sedins honored in the hall. Absolutely. Uh, they Those guys have about as high an approval rating in the city as anybody for, for what they did on the ice. But but as you mentioned, Brendan, for what they did off the ice, they are incredible ambassadors for uh, for the for the hockey team, for the Canucks. But beyond that, they really they really made it a point of embracing Vancouver and, and making that part of their identity and, and, and what they stood for. And so uh, I think we're going to start to see a lot of those highlights that uh, that they did, at, certainly in the, the peak of their career. Uh, those still get played often uh, by Canucks fans, maybe, maybe thinking back to the glory days of this team, which uh, isn't saying much in the grand scheme, but if any guys deserve the kind of recognition that, that they're about to get from, from the Hall of Fame, it's, it's Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Israel, this was a lot of fun, man. I hope we can do it again. I'd love to. Thanks a lot. All right. Israel Fair from The Athletic out of Vancouver. He is contributor as well at uh, Sportsnet 650. Hey, lots of season left. We know that much for sure for all teams. Edmonton sitting at 500. Uh, Vancouver sitting at 0, 0, 0 across the board. 0, 5, and 2. Um, to, the, to the many textures who have said, is this Canucks now? You're hilarious, and I've never heard that joke made before at any point. This is Oilers Now. 
123 in Edmonton. It's Brendan Escott here today. Japanese Village is Edmonton's favorite Japanese steakhouse. Reserve your party at jvedmonton.ca. Israel Fair was our headliner today, brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. I'll give you a hint. They got one location in West Edmonton Mall. It's the only place I've stumbled upon it so far, so that's what I can tell you for free. The boys at Brent Ridge did such a good job selling their trucks and SUVs that they actually need some more now, and that's where they're calling on you. Come trade in your vehicle for an upgrade or sell it to them outright, whatever's best for you. Remember, the 2023 order bank is open for Ford F-150s and SUVs as well. Go see Uncle Milt, Rich, Johnny, and the team at Brent Ridge Ford, your Ford truck authority in the Auto Mile in Wetaskiwin. A couple of texts here as well. Uh, where did they go? We got a new system here, so it's not as uh, easy. As streamlined, I believe, is the word that I'm looking for. It's not as streamlined as it once was. Okay, how do I get back to the page? Uh, it was Brendan. Brendan had some good texts, and I swear I wasn't even being biased. He spells his name with an O, mine's with an E. Forget it. All right, text line after the break, I guess. <laughs> I'll remind you, the Oilers um, set a franchise record last night. 26 shots in the second period after you know, not, not a players-only meeting, but sort of a, a come-to-Jesus moment, if you will, after 20 minutes last night in the room. The players say that a conversation was had. Then it was a shot barrage. This is what head coach Jay Woodcroft had to say today about the result of that second period. I've been around some good teams, so I've seen teams tilt the rink um, at different points. Uh, but for our group to pour 26 shots on one of the best teams in the league, I think that's a positive sign. And for that to set a record for the organization, I didn't know that until after the game, but there's been some really good hockey teams and uh, come through Edmonton here over, over its proud history. And um, so to do that, to do it against the team that we did it against, as I said, I think that's a building block for us as we move forward. Texture says it's actually a come to Mick Jesus moment, which I will happily piggyback on. That's fantastic. Uh, the coach for the Oilers talking today about McDavid's injury or fortunately lack thereof. Uh, he looked pretty good to me this morning. Uh, he looked pretty good to me when he came back into the game last night. Um, I don't think the general public, when they talk about um, Connor, uh, have a true understanding how tough of a hockey player he is and the the abuse that he endures because he's willing to go to hard areas uh, just night in, night out. Um, you know, last night he went into the post or whatever, but he was driving the net hard uh, in search of offense. And um, for me, I don't think he gets enough credit for that and, and what he plays through just on a daily basis. It's, uh, it's a one, one tough hockey player and um, you can see that when your captain plays uh, through things like that. Uh, I think it resonates uh, throughout the rest of the dressing room. And you expect he'll be available next game? I expect that, yes. 
There you go. So he is with the team on the road trip. He is going to play tomorrow in St. Louis. Six o'clock puck drop on 6.30. Chad, and it's the front half of two in a row. They'll get Chicago on Thursday night and then back into Alberta. A tough stretch of three in a row here. They cap it off against Calgary at the Saddle Dome, trying to make amends for the loss that was handed uh, a couple of Fridays ago by Calgary to Edmonton. Fridays? Saturdays? I can't even remember now. Everything's blurring together, so let's... Press pause. We'll send it to Eileen for the headlines. And when we come back, Edmonton Oil Kings GM Kurt Hill. It's Brendan Escott in today for Bob Stoffer on Oilers Now.